Today on the podcast, we have my new friend, Brett McCracken, and he's just come out with a book called The Wisdom Pyramid. And so, uh, man, I've just been really concerned by me, might be too strong of a word, but uh, feeling a deep sense of conviction for us as followers of Jesus, that how we understand media and technology in emerging days, it's, it would be our present, but also moving into the future, of course, um, this is a really important discipleship issue, and so that's why I had uh, Brett here on the podcast. The book is called The Wisdom Pyramid. So, Brett, maybe you could just start by giving us um, just real quick who you are and, and a little bit about yourself, and then I'd love to hear a 30,000-foot view of, of the book. Sure. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Zach. It's um, always fun to talk to pastors and churches, and I agree with you about the it's kind of the big picture challenges that the digital age pose for discipleship. I've been, I've been using the phrase digital discipleship recently and kind of talking in terms of like digital discipleship really is one of the frontline issues of the 21st century in ministry. And yep. it needs to be yep. kind of a, it needs to be an area of focus for pastors and churches. And I think the wisdom pyramid, this book that we'll talk about is my kind of contribution to this emerging area called digital discipleship, trying to walk Christians through what it means to be a faithful follower of Jesus in this world. So, um, <clears throat> but yeah, just a little bit about myself, I guess, to, to introduce, give you some context. So I'm a, an editor for the gospel coalition for my, my day job. I'm a senior editor for TGC. So I think that um, vocation plays into why this is such a concern area for me because I, I I literally spend my days online and I work remote and my colleagues are you know in all corners of the nation so I don't have an in person you know office or or community so my world literally is the internet yeah and it's where it's where I live it's where I work um, it's I view it as kind of my mission field. And, and I think TGC as the ministry would, would view it that way too. We, we want to bring healthy Christian formation to the digital space, which as we'll talk about uh, today is, is a space that is often, you know, forming us, but in very unchristian ways and in very unhealthy ways. So, um, so I love what I do for the Gospel Coalition in terms of trying to bring some light to the darkness online and trying to bring some truth to the kind of fake, you know, questionable uh, spaces of the internet. But at the same time, my exposure to the world of the internet and social media by virtue of what I do for a living, it just makes me really aware and really, um, even for myself, just how toxic it is and how right. easily, how easily any of us can start to be formed negatively by spending too much time there and consuming too much of this, you know, hazardous material that we can find online. So 
just my experience with that and my my awareness of kind of how it has how it had negatively formed me but then also i'm a pastor at a local church i'm a lay elder at a church called southlands church and um, so just just being in kind of pastoral situations and seeing people who i'm discipling uh, and just just seeing how negatively they are being formed by the voices they're listening to online and the podcasts they're listening to and the the echo chambers that they're finding themselves deeper and deeper in um, and how it's it's capturing their hearts and minds and it's pulling people away from the gospel and from Christian identity and Christian mission and uh, it's it's radicalizing people in different directions right whether it's different political directions or yeah. you know whatever the case may be so i think those are kind of the parts of my life that have really fed fed into this book and um so yeah just the the kind of 30,000 foot quick summary of this book is essentially i'm taking the concept of the food pyramid which most of you will hopefully remember from your childhood that graphic right um, in terms of what food groups are healthy or are conducive to a healthy diet of food. Um, I think we need something like that for navigating the, um, the overwhelming array of information in the digital age. We, we have so many sources we could go to for nourishment, but how do we know what the healthy ones are? How do we know what proportions of different sources are conducive right. to a healthy spiritual diet? So I, I basically created this graphic a couple of years ago, the wisdom pyramid for a conference presentation that I did. And, um, and then a couple of years later, I thought maybe this could be a book. And so I basically took the concept of that wisdom pyramid, turned it into a book where I drilled down in, into each of the layers or the levels of the pyramid. And um, that's, that's what the book is about. It's really a guide kind of a rubric of sorts for everyone, but particularly Christians to have a, yeah, just more, more of a sense for where they're going to find nutritious, truthful kind of wisdom producing content yeah. in today's world. So it's like a framework that would allow us to pursue health when it comes to media intake. Would that be a good? Summary? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a framework. It's a grid. It's awesome. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, man. I'm curious if you'd be willing to share with some more detail. Was there a time in your life when you felt like, whoa, um, I'm really unhealthy? Or what did you notice about yourself and your own mm -hmm. media consumption where you noticed mm -hmm. like, man, I, I need to uh, put myself on a diet or I need to impose some structure um, is there, is there something you could share about like any poignant mm -hmm. moments in your life where it was clear, like, if I don't get a handle on this, we may have a mm -hmm. problem. Yeah. I don't know if there was like a point that I can pinpoint. I think it was just a gradual awareness that the, you know, the further, the further into the age of the internet that we got, and I'm not a, you know, I'm 38. So I did, I'm not a digital native. I, I still remember life before the internet and right. certainly certainly i remember life before the smartphone um I, I i was a late adopter with like a smartphone i think i didn't get one until 
2011 or something like that. Whoa, so that's hardcore. <laughs> I and I was always the last person in my friend group to join Facebook and Twitter and all those things. So now I'm on all of them and I, you know, I've been on them for a while, but I think I've always been a little skeptical of these things. Um and then but my own life experience, especially probably in the last couple of years as I've worked full-time for TGC and I've spent even more time just by virtue of my job, kind of I have to be online, I have to be on social media, I have to be aware of the conversations happening. So I think that has just um, made me really, um, yeah, just kind of aware of the negative formation that happens. And um, I, I just saw myself become so emotionally depleted by virtue of the things that I was seeing on social media. And right. it just, it struck me as really weird that you know, this world that's so abstract, like Twitter, like, I don't know these people right. from, in, for the most part. I, I've never met them. And yet the, the conversations that I'm seeing and the arguments and the um, vitriol is, is causing me to be angry and, and me to be depressed. And I, I saw in myself how it left me at the end of the day, just kind of so depleted that I didn't really have much to give pastorally, relationally to people, to physical relationships right in front of me. Amen. Amen. And that dynamic is just so. Yeah, I've noticed so the same thing. Me. Like, and we can talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah, Brett, I've yeah, noticed the exact same I think thing for in pastors. My life. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that I when I'm talking to pastors particularly, I really, I caution them, like, you know, minimize your time online, because you have so much that you need to give to the people right in front of you in your pastoral sphere, That's right. you know, and, and you need to be present and available emotionally for, for them. And if you give all of your emotional energy to the mob on social media, and whatever people are arguing about, theologically, you know, out there on the internet, you're not going to have anything left. That's right. And I think, I think God, he wired us to be physical beings in physical communities where we can know people in reality and be known by them and grow together and sharpen each other. And that's the heart of pastoral ministry. That's the heart of discipleship. And so I think one of the biggest troubling things about discipleship in the digital age is, is this whole thing about we're pulled so far away from our immediate context that we're left kind of rather ineffective in, in the, the, the local context. So, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, God created us as embodied creatures and just by the very yeah. nature of our physical bodies, we have limits, right? We can't yeah. be yeah. all places at all times but that's one of the dangers I feel like as I've reflected on this theologically is the internet gives us the illusion of being able to be omnipresent and all knowing yeah. like yeah. I carry yeah. all of the information in the world literally in my pocket and it's fast. Right. Yeah. And so it's a, yeah. the illusion is that uh, I'm all knowing omniscient and I can sort of be omnipresent in everybody's lives mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what do I need this body for? 
when mm-hmm. I can, you know what I mean? But it's going against the mm-hmm. grain of how we were created. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think limits are such a gift for our thriving in life and for our wisdom. And that's one of the things I've mentioned a few times in the book is, yeah, just God gives limits and the limits of our body, the limits of lo- local context, the fact that we can only do so much to correct the problems in the world. But if you focus on you, you know, the immediate sphere uh, where you're in, it's, it's more manageable. But the problem is the internet and social media, it puts so much on our radar on any given day. Like every day, if you open social media, you're confronted with a dozen or more terrible injustices happening all over the world right you know on other sides of the world far from your context and you can't do much more about it than just be aware of it well and who has the emotional bandwidth other than god Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. able to bear all that right yeah yeah we weren't created to bear the burdens of the a world's worth of of injustice and evil and i think honestly there that's one of the reasons why i think mental health is is such a crisis right now yeah you know anxiety is on the rise globally depression is on the rise um and i think it's not the only factor but i think the smartphone and the internet and just this awareness of so much that is dark and evil and alarming about the world it has to yeah. play into that, right? It can't, yeah. it can't help but make us mentally a little bit unstable. Well, especially when fear sells. You know, yeah. we... and that's that's a big part of this equation is the the way that all of this makes money for certain uh, media companies right. who are in inve- who are invested in keeping people hooked into the breaking news and right. the calamities and all that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this, Brett. Um, I'd love to hear your take on this, but as I've thought about it, you can draw a straight line from what we're talking about to Genesis chapter three and the lie yeah. that you can be like God. And Absolutely. You, and you get yeah. this sense through the power of the internet internet, that I'm kind of taking on some type of a God-like structure mm-hmm. into my yeah. hands, into my brain. I just think of like the yeah. infinite scroll. Like we're touching mm-hmm. the infinite and, yeah. and, and we weren't created for that. We were created with limits, but the yeah. internet in terms of like the infinite scroll on Instagram, it just keeps mm-hmm. feeding you more pictures right. or the infinite yeah. scroll on Facebook. There's always more friends or the seemingly mm-hmm. infinite nature of trying to find something to watch on Netflix. And yeah. I just find myself exhausted by that. You know, I, mm-hmm. if I do that, if I indulge that for 20 or 30 minutes, like the scroll on my Facebook feed does not stop and mm-hmm. I just get tired. And I think yeah. it goes back to, man, only God can handle the infinite. Yep. I can't, yep. my, my brain was not structured for that. wasn't created for that. So, yeah. so like discipleship wise, helping people see, um, that embracing finitude Mm-hmm. is really really good <laughs> yeah yeah honestly i think if, if people can grasp that idea and, and see the connection with the internet pulling us away from the idea of finitude and limits 
and and adjusting their life and their media habits accordingly that's a huge part of it um yeah i mean to go back to the garden of eden and genesis 3 i i mentioned this in a brief paragraph in um, i think chapter one of the book but i i was struck a, a couple years ago just looking at my iphone and and pondering the apple logo right which is <laughs> which is literally a fruit an apple with a bite taken out of it oh and, my word and i don't i don't necessarily think it was intended to be this and no. i'm not making any i'm not making any claims that steve jobs was you know making a visual allusion to adam and eve but it does strike me as really interesting that yes if there if there was ever a technology or a device that approximated godlike knowledge. Yes. It's it's the iPhone. It's the smartphone. It's yes. literally it's something in our pocket that that um, suggests to us that you can know anything. You you pull out your phone, you can Google anything you could ever want to know, it's gonna be there, you know? So not only is it what we Google, but it's what you can do. Like this one device is the the pathway to omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence. Right. It really is. It really is trying to function as a godlike proxy in our lives. And so, uh, make of it what you will that the Apple logo is a an apple with a bite taken out of it. But it's interesting to me that um, that our digital age really does offer us the enticement that that Eve faced. Yeah. Like it's right there. Like all you have to do is reach out and grab it and you can be like God. Right. And, and that, that's where sin begins. That's, that's where so much trouble begins. That's right. Yeah. Um, I just think about how that's connected to exhaustion because so much of my emotional response to any type of media binge oftentimes um, is exhaustion or, or and yeah. exhaustion is connected to a feeling of anxiety. Yeah. And I think if you think about it theologically like this, you know, I wasn't created to be like God, only God can be God. It would make sense mm -hmm. that I would feel tired when I try to embrace the illusion <laughs> of God-like attributes yep. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. The exhaustion thing is, is real. And I, I think there's also an angst that comes up when you're confronted with so much that is wrong with the world. Mm -hmm. every day but you can't do anything about it we weren't right. created we weren't created to have a lot of information that we couldn't do anything with aside yeah. from just aside from just being a passive spectator to it so i talk about um something neil postman wrote about who is a really great media critic who wrote the book amusing ourselves to death back in the 80s um really prophetic in many ways yes. what he was what he was writing about yes you know 30 40 years ago is really coming to fruition but one yep. of the things he wrote about uh, one of the things he wrote about was this what he called the information action ratio and he said um you know basically for most of human history humans were they only had information that was actionable information they were right. only aware of they were only aware of things in their village or exactly. in their, you know, maybe going out, you know, 10, 20 miles from where they live. Where you could walk. And where you could walk. So, yeah. so therefore, everything that was filling their brains was something that they could tangibly 
respond to and and do do something with but once new technologies were introduced you know first the telegraph and then television and then the internet and suddenly we have access to the world and all the problems in it coming into our feeds coming to our living rooms on on tv every day and so he talks about how the the ratio now between information and action is so out of whack. It's so imbalanced. Yes. We have way more information than we do actionable information. And that's why we're so angsty. <laughs> that's why we're so like emotionally exhausted all the time is we weren't created to have, to be aware of so much that we couldn't do anything about. Yep. Amen. Amen. So let me dive into a little bit from the book here, Brett. You say the um, just the just the heading of your introduction, an unwise age. What mm. does that mean? Um, why mm. is our age unwise? Yeah, I mean, the first line of the book is something to the effect of we live in a world of more and more information, but less and less wisdom. And so, I mean... I think most people would probably agree that even even though we objectively are living in a world with the most information at our fingertips than any human generation prior has had access to, I don't think anyone would then say we're the wisest generation in, in human history. Um, I think that if there's any correlation between information and wisdom, it's maybe a negative correlation, meaning that yeah. as one goes as one goes up, the other goes down. So yeah, when I'm talking about an unwise age, I'm basically saying, you know, we can have all the knowledge that we can possibly accumulate. We can have all the data, all the information at our fingertips, but it's not making us wise. In fact, it's making us more foolish. Um, and for, for various reasons, um, and I talk about how, and maybe you were going to ask about some of these specific chapters, but like the first three chapters of the book are basically talking about three dynamics of the information age that are, that are actively working against wisdom and are kind of making us foolish. Uh, and just to be brief in summarizing those, the three um, dynamics are too much information. So the glut of information is is making us foolish because we just, our brains are literally <laughs> losing the ability to sort through it all yep. in an effective way. And then the second problem is it's too fast. So the pace of information in the digital age is making us foolish because it, it invites us to process things too quickly, to share things too quickly, to share our opinions on things too quickly. So the speed is just not conducive to wisdom. And then thirdly, the orientation of information around me, around the individual, yeah. right? It's called the iPhone for a reason with lowercase i. Yeah. That's, it, that's a metaphor for the internet. It's right. everything is built around what you want. So you can curate your own feeds. You can unfollow who you don't like, follow who you do like. You can basically choose your own but you know, also preferred source of media, but whatever, also what wherever. you want to say, like I've, right. I've said oftentimes yeah. it's all about me because 
it's just like, man, well, my, of course, my take on whatever issue is that needs to be broadcast to the world. And it's yeah. like, why do yeah. I think that my narcissism needs a megaphone? Right. You know? <laughs> right. Well, and it's not only technology. I mean, the putting aside media and technology, like these were already ideas in our culture, the whole idea of my truth. Yes. You know, the idea that just live your truth, right? Right. <laughs> Everyone right. has their own kind of inner inner voice, inner truth. And so it's your prerogative to be able to express that to the world and to to bring your truth to the table. So um, social media didn't invent that idea, but no. it definitely it definitely um, accelerates it because it, it gives voice to your your truth, whatever it is. It basically says not only do you have a right to have your own truth, but you also need to share it with the world on social media, on YouTube, right? It's interesting that it's called YouTube. Yeah. It's about you. It's what you, it's about broadcasting you. Um, so, yeah. Well, it's these, these concepts, you know, it doesn't take long to reflect on how the Bible teaches us to follow Jesus and the, the concept of selfishness um, is, you know, the, the gospel is antithetical to that. And so yeah. iPhone, YouTube, like we're just right. subtly, I mean, honestly, right. Brett, my space, I, my space. like For I haven't, older. yeah, I haven't really thought about that critically mm -hmm. until just right now that like, man, mm -hmm. this text on Sunday is going to be, um, the son of man didn't come to serve, but, or to, to, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah. And James and John are wanting seats of power and it would be all about them. Right. And, right. and Jesus is like, no, that's not the way, but yeah. it's like, these these technologies that we have are subtly preaching yeah. maybe a message that's antithetical to the gospel. Um, yeah, and it's so it's so tempting, right? I mean, we're by our by our sinful nature. I think all of us are inclined to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, right? And to to assume that like the world needs to know who I am, what I have to say, uh, and so the platform temptation of the digital age where it really is fairly easy to build a following, build your platform, be heard. It's so intoxicating and it's, it plays so much into our sinful nature. And, and yet you're totally right that Jesus just continually hammers this point of humility. And, yeah. um, you know, I was just reading last night in Luke, the whole, like the least among you is the greatest. And, you know, James and John and his disciples were constantly trying to maneuver for position and right. claim, you know, stake a claim for the greatest. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Like yeah. in my kingdom, the least is the greatest. Like bring this child to me. Let me show you. And it's so easy to just live. The child know, doesn't have that. a platform. The child doesn't have a platform. Yeah. And continually, Jesus is going. He's He's preferring <laughs> to be with the people who don't have any platform and Amen. who are marginalized and, and voiceless. And so, yeah, it's the, the structure of the internet in the YouTube, you know, Facebook, <laughs> iPhone era is so much about me. And it, it really does make humility a constant challenge to, yeah. to fight, to fight for humility. Yeah. Oh my word. There's, there's so many depths here that we could talk about. Brett, um, but I know our time is limited. Um, 
But I think about <laughs> like, you know, there's contrasts here that come to mind for me. And you think about a nation like North Korea, where mm-hmm. every single thing is watched. Yeah. And you have a culture of repression of expression, right? In extreme yeah. ways with extreme consequences. And yeah. we live in the opposite of that, where it's, you got a thought, you put it out there. You know, yeah. you, you need yeah. to have the courage. And a lot of it is framed as bravery. Like they were brave mm-hmm. enough to whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like almost immoral for you to not communicate your thoughts. Yeah. But my hunch is, um, <laughs> you know, you would say there's probably a middle ground in there somewhere. Yeah. That, that potentially is sure. going to glorify God. And so we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about the negativity mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of the internet, but mm-hmm. I know both of us are sitting here using the power of the internet right now. Yeah. And yeah. so it's not all bad, but you've right. structured a recipe by which Christians can think about how do I use technology and media to the glory of God? Would you yeah. be willing to just kind of walk us through like um, mm-hmm. how you would coach your kids on this? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. And I definitely do want to um, make that point that the internet and social media are not all bad. Like there, there are redeemable aspects to it. And I include the internet and social media on the wisdom pyramid. So they have a place sure. in our wisdom, in our wisdom diet. Yep. So I could have left them off completely and suggested that, you know, to be wise in today's world, you need to chuck your phone in the trash and go offline completely. Yep. But not only do I think that's just unrealistic in today's world to ask people to do that, but I also think that there are plenty of good things to find online. And there's, there's some great, um, things that the digital age has brought us. And so in the book, I talk about um, some of those things are just giving voice to, to people who have previously not had a voice or, you know, not had um, a platform to, to be heard and to be seen marginalized communities. And it helps all of us to be, to have access to those voices. So for someone who grew up in a very homogenous you know, community somewhere where you, you you didn't really have any exposure to people who were different from you. The internet gives you that exposure to people who are different from you and different perspectives. And that's a great thing. And as much as that can create friction and kind of heated debates, which we see every day on social media, ultimately, I think there's some, some really healthy things about the way that so many different, um, perspectives and voices are are meeting and kind of um, interacting in ways that they they wouldn't have been able to before the internet so that's just one of the good things about it there's of course there's just practical things like um, how easy it is to connect with people you know in other parts of the world like we're doing right now that's right and how how great it is for people in closed countries like you know, Iran or North Korea or whatever to, you know, for the sake of the gospel and for mission, the internet has done wonderful, wonderful things. That's right. Um, And I think the gospel coalition is just one of many like digital um, resources that shows the potential of the internet for bringing truth and bringing discipleship tools to people all over the world, which is really great. 
So, but my advice, like to how to, how to navigate it health in a healthy way, uh, what I would say to my kids. Um, and I, I'm a dad, I have two young sons who are still in diapers. So I have a few years <laughs> before they're going to be using devices, hopefully. Um, yeah. But, and I think probably I wrote, I honestly, I wrote this book for myself to help, to help me parent my sons who are going to be, who are going to be growing up in this world. They're, they're never going to know a world that's, without smartphones and yeah. the internet yeah we're not going so, back we're not going back so how do you how do you thrive as a christian uh, a couple things i would say is it would be um just go go slower so it a lot of my advice basically offers the flip side of the challenges that i talked about so in a, in a pace that is just too fast in the digital age wisdom is going slow Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's the it's the wisdom of james when he says be quick to listen slow to speak slow to become angry if we all just practiced that in our behavior on social media that would be a, a big step in the right direction um another thing that i talk about in terms of positive ways to like use the internet is to focus more on like finding and sharing goodness like you know, instead of only using the internet to be, be aware of bad things and then to like complain about bad things and get into arguments about bad things, not that there's never a place for that, but there's a lot of beautiful things, good things, true things online that we should be celebrating and sharing. So it could be a, a YouTube video. It could be a, an album of music on Spotify that you share. A lot of my work at the Gospel Coalition is kind of being able to point people to some positive things that I've discovered in the area of, of the arts and culture, yep. which I love because that's an example of using the internet to, to connect people to things that are nourishing and, um, and, and good and true and beautiful. So, um, yeah, so those are just a couple pieces of advice I would give. Um, and also just be really mindful of the sources you're paying attention to. So, um, doing kind of a, an audit of the, you know, what, what, what makes up your regular kind of, um, uh, diet or, um, collection of websites you check, podcasts you listen to, uh, and making sure that you're, you're spending less time online, but spending what time you do have in the right places. Yeah. And, um, I think, I think that if we all spent a little bit less time online, but, but spent it more intentionally, we would be a lot better off. So talk us through what the pyramid actually entails. And so you have like a structure, like in terms of how you think holistically about your life and mm -hmm. as it relates to input sources, am I saying yeah. that correctly? Um, that yeah. you, that you would love to <clears throat> just kind of give as a broad framework for people to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the, yeah, the pyramid is basically just um, trying to point people to sources that are going to be more life-giving and more trustworthy. Um, and so whatever it looks like for you to then kind of build your habits and your daily, weekly routines around these things, I don't get that granular in my book. I don't like I don't say like, you need to spend this amount of hours doing this and 
sure know, have have this many helpings of this category <laughs> um like i think the food pyramid actually did that like okay if you remember if you remember the food pyramid it was like you know two to three servings of you know fruit and four to five servings sure. of vegetables like i don't get into that in the wisdom pyramid i'm mainly just wanting to give a general kind of orientation yeah like so what basic, is basically yeah, yeah so what so, is that so I, I put the Bible at the foundation. So if if the, the bottom layer of the pyramid means this is the, the most important source of truth for you, it's it's the place where you're going to find the most nourishment. Uh, obviously, for Christians, we would say the Bible is that source. It's the, it's the word of God. Uh, it's the only infallible source that we have. Um, so that's the bottom of my wisdom pyramid. So then can I, I have can the, I stop you right there, Brett? Um, yeah. So if we just think about that all by itself, mm -hmm. a real challenging question that I could pose myself is: when I look at my screen time app on my phone, yeah. why does it say that I have <laughs> I spent forty five minutes on Twitter today, right, and an hour on YouTube, and I and I know yeah. when I read my Bible this morning, it was oh probably. 10 minutes. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a, that's a challenging um, thing to, to, to reflect on in terms yeah. of input, you know, Matthew right. four, four man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's, um that's convicting to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's convicting for all of us because if we, if all of us did that audit of our time, just in terms of hours of the day, hours in our week, it would be shameful to see how little scripture occupies and how much, you know, everything from Twitter to Netflix to anything else. But the promises, you know, the promises yeah. that God associates with his, with an intake of his word, you know, yeah. living water to drink, like that's the thing yeah. that I, I, um, I would right. want to focus on for our people is like, yeah. it's not that, Hey, you need to knock it off and quit looking at this yeah. horrible yeah. internet stuff. But man, look at the staggering promises that God gives mm -hmm. us when we mm -hmm. intake his word, you know? Right. I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, one of the things I, I, um, I've been thinking about with regard to the Bible is just how I think we need to be re-enchanted to the miracle of the Bible and the reality that, this is like we have in our hands access to the words of God himself. Like, just think about that for a while. Like the, the creator of the universe saw fit to give us his own words, you know, right, right. Um, and to make himself known in this way. And if you've grown up a Christian, I think it, be, it can become kind of easy to take for granted the Bible. Oh, it's just, you know, I've always had the Bible and um, we don't pause to think about what a, what a miracle that is in a world where almost nothing is trustworthy and we're, we're, we're desperately looking for like solid ground to stand on. We have that in the Bible. It's, it's this like foundation that we can build our lives on. And, and, and the reason I, one of the reasons that the Bible is a great foundational layer for the wisdom pyramid is that it, it provides kind of a vertical stability, like scaffolding for yeah, the, all the yeah. all the layers on top of it. So, without the Bible at the bottom, 
offering kind of this scaffolding, then anything above it would be less helpful because it wouldn't be tethered to an objective kind of a standard of wisdom that the Bible offers. So, yeah. yeah so, so bottom it's... is bottom. Bottom level is the Bible, and then where do we mm-hmm. go from there? So then I have the church, which is, um, you know, uh, one of the one of the things that I was thinking of as I ordered the levels of the pyramid was I wanted I wanted it to go from the most proximate to God at the bottom to the least proximate to God. So everything from the bottom up is basically how close are we to God? Because, because God is wisdom. He's the source of it. Right. It makes sense. It makes sense that the places that we could look that are proximate to God are going to be better sources of truth and wisdom for us. So the church is, is the number two most important category because it's God's presence among his people. It's the Holy spirit working among the the body of Christ, the metaphor Paul uses. So this is, you know, an important source of wisdom because it's, it's God's people that he's forming, that he's building together. And um, so, and there's so much I could say about why the church helps shape our wisdom, but it's everything from the communal aspect of it, help, you know, helping us discover truth in community. That's, so much better than trying to go it alone yeah. and trying to just trying to just find wisdom on your own and the rhythms of church, the, the habits of worship and communion and all of the, all of the regular rhythms, they form us, they shape us in the direction of Christlikeness or they should, right? That's Amen. the goal of church. And in a world like we've talked about, that's forming people, in really unhealthy ways by virtue of how they spend their time online. We really need that, that time in church to form us in healthy Christian ways. Yeah. And so we keep climbing up the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And so then I have Nate, then I have nature, which is, um, you know, some people like raise their eyebrows a bit at nature as a source of wisdom, but you know, I view nature as God's creation and that's what we believe as Christians, we believe God made this world and Amen. it's his, it's his handiwork. And so that's proximity to God, just like you can know, you know, an artist by looking at their work. Mm-hmm. I can look, I can look at some painting that Monet painted and I can, I can sort of start to make some conclusions about the type of artist Monet was um, in the same way, God he leaves clues about his character by virtue of his creation. Amen. And so um, if we spend time in nature, if we really um, pay attention to it and sit still enough to actually like um, appreciate the beauty and um, of what God has created, whether it's going outside in your backyard and just sitting under a tree and, and just pondering like, what is this thing, this tree? Like, what kind of God created this? Um, I think there's a lot of nourishment that can come with, with being um, just more plugged in to God's creation. Amen. I love that. I think you're onto something there, Brett, because mm-hmm. um, I, have, I have a poignant memory of being on a road trip and we were traveling through some beautiful state. I don't even remember where we were, but it was like Colorado or something like that. And you know, when we're on a road trip, all bets are off in terms of limits on screen time. 
yeah. for my, and I've got, I've got almost all teenagers now and, uh, and they're all buried in their devices on this long road trip. And it was just like, guys, just lift your eyes and see right, the I splendor. Know. And they look up, they're like, huh, whatever. And then back to the phone. It's like, oh no. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Every parent probably listening to this can relate to that. Yeah. It's, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, if we can put away our devices long enough to actually like go outside and be present outside, there's a lot to be gained I oh, think, yeah. with that. So, um, okay. So quickly, I'll just go through the remaining categories. So I have books as a level of the pyramid next and kind of an obvious one. I think when you're talking about becoming wise, like reading books, but I think specifically with books, what I'm getting at there is it's not, it's not so much what you find in books as the way reading a book helps you become a better thinker. Yes. And so if one of the biggest challenges to wisdom in today's digital world is that we don't, we don't have time to really consider things deeply. And we, we read, you know, 30 seconds of this article and 30 seconds of that tweet. And we kind of, our brains are just frenetically processing information to read a book is to go deeper with one idea, with one author's perspective for a longer period of time. And Amen. I think that, I think that what that trains are, our brains to do is really healthy and can be super um, important for our wisdom. And then um, after books, I have beauty, which is a personal favorite of mine as a category um, because it speaks to the fact that wisdom is not just a cerebral thing. It's not just, it's not just about facts that go in our brains. It's also about our hearts and our emotions and how truth sometimes works on the affective level it it hits us in ways that we can't wrap our minds around um you know so the the fact that so much of the bible is poetry is interesting right god yeah. god could have god could have revealed himself to us only with like a list of um propositions you know, three thousand propositions that you should right. know um, but he didn't. He told stories. Like so much of the Bible is a story, right? With heroes and villains and characters. Jesus and, and the parables. Jesus and the parables. Same yeah. thing. He Jesus could have spoken in philosophical, like proverb or proverbial statements, right? right. But instead, he he chose to use story and metaphor, and uh, I think that's something that we should take note of as Christians. If God cares about art and beauty and story, then we should as well. And we should view that as an essential um, part of our wisdom diet. Awesome. And then what's so the last one? So that takes us through. So the last category we've already kind of talked about the internet and social media. It's, it's there at the top in the fats, oils, and sweets category. <laughs> the mm -hmm. nasty desserts. <laughs> right. You use sparingly. It's not that you can never, you know, it's not that we should never have dessert in the right. food pyramid. Right. Um, it's fine to to use it in moderation, um, but the the challenge is it's so addictive, right? Yes. The the fats, oils, and sweets in the food pyramid are so addictive. We could easily build our diet around those things, and I think that the same is is really true of of the the online experience. It's so addictive and. And many of us have built our diets around <laughs> around that category, and that's why it's making us sick 
Yeah. Well, Brett, I know you got to go, my man. Um, but this has been really helpful, and I and I pray nothing but blessings on your book. And um, I hope a lot of our folks at the Vine um, read it. I got a thousand more questions I'd love to talk to you <laughs> about. Um, so maybe in a, a couple months we could do part two and do yeah. an even deeper dive, or, or uh, if you would be open to that. Yeah. Well, I've it's been fun, and I um, I just yeah encourage people and churches to process this together. And there, I have discussion questions in the book at the end of each chapter that I think would be great for small groups or just yep. friends to kind of read through and talk through together because no one, no one of us is not dealing with the challenges of finding wisdom in the digital age. I think it's something that all of us are struggling with. So myself included. So yep. we all, we all need to kind of keep our, keep our, our friends and family accountable and kind of check in and, and ask questions about like, you know, what, what is your diet looking like these days in terms of what's feeding your soul? Because it's too important to, to let people we love just fill their souls with toxic things. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Well, thanks for joining us today and uh, we will be in touch. All right. Thanks so much, Zach.